As we turn our attention to the book of Ephesians today, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Please remember that Fortress 91 continues to function every day from 7 a.m. in the morning till 7 p.m. night, except today, except on Mondays, all right? Mondays is the only day that we don't do this because we give the pastors a day off so that they can be with their families and get some much-needed rest. But Tuesday through Sunday, even during services, there are people that aren't comfortable being in the services yet, but they're comfortable in, in Fortress 91. We just want to take care of you. So we'll see you in the services. Friday night, remember, is going to start at 6.30, all right? All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked. Now, I want you to notice a few things. You were dead, you once walked. Everyone has a past. He said, listen, th this, is where, this is where we lived in the past, in which you once walked. Now, how did we once live? Well, number one, we were following the course of this world. Number two, we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All right, so he said, I want you to notice in your past, you followed the ways of this world. You acted like the world did. And he said, in the past, you followed the prince of the power of the air. This is Satan the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now notice, now he's at work in the sons of disobedience. He's not working in you anymore. <laughs> All right, he's not working in you anymore. Not working in you anymore. Among whom we all once lived. Okay, there's that, we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. All right, so this is how we once lived. Okay, we lived in the passions of our flesh and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. All right, this was the results like the rest of mankind, okay? This is, we were, we were what you would call normal, all right? Normal for the unsaved. He said, now this is what life was once, okay? Everybody has a past. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't care if you grew up in your church, in church the whole life. Everybody has to get saved. Everybody screws up. You know, I, I talk to people, because I didn't grow up in church, but I, I talk to people around the world that grew up in church and they're pastors now, and they say, you know, everybody has a past. I grew up in church, but there came a day that I had to really get saved. You talk to preacher's kids, you talk to <laughs> deacon's kids, everybody had to one time get saved, all right? Everybody has a past. This is how we all lived in the past. But he said, but God, I love that. I love all the but gods in the scripture. But God, being rich in mercy, whoops, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. All right, so this is the character. I think I'm gonna change out this computer. This is the character and the cause. God's character, because God is rich in mercy, the cause, because of the great love with which he loved us, 
This is why we got saved. This is what brought salvation, the character and the love of God. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, all right? So we are saved because of the mercy of God. Mercy on this pen. Because of the mercy of God, we're saved because of the love of God. We're saved because of the grace of God. The great trinity of the character of God. All right, so we've been made alive together. This is something that we have to look at. Before we were dead, we were separated from God in our sins. Death means separation. Now we've been made alive together with Christ, not on our own, with Christ. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. All right, so here's this in Christ again that we keep a list of. So in Christ, we have been made alive with Christ, we've been raised up. With Christ, we've been seated in heavenly places. So that, and here's the purpose, so that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. All right, so why did God do all of this for you? What was God's motive? God wanted <laughs> exhibits. And let's call these eternal exhibits that in the coming ages, he can show off the riches of his grace. So that means in heaven, God will be walking the streets of heaven one day and he's gonna look and say, look at David Sumrall. Do you see what I did in his life? He's gonna say, look at Juan Cruz. Look at what he, I did in his life. Look at, at Joey Pagadora. Look at what I did in his life. Look at, <laughs> I mean, I, I go start listing all of your names and then I'd leave somebody out and be embarrassed, all right? God wants us as trophies for all eternity. He wants to show off his grace. Now, I've been in people's houses and I have no criticism of hunting, okay? When I was a kid, I hunted and things did. I wasn't very good at it, but I hunted. But I've been in people's homes where they have mounts on, on their walls of all the different animals they've killed and all the different giant fish that they've caught. And those are the trophies of their accomplishments. All for eternity, you and I are the trophies of God's grace. Now, that, that doesn't make me feel anything but wonderful. He said, for by grace. Okay, So we are trophies of his grace because it's by grace you have been saved through faith. So faith is the, the conduit, but the thing that caused it is grace. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So salvation is a gift, not as the results of work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created. All right, here's that in Christ. We keep a list of all that. Created in Christ. You have been recreated. All right, there's a second creation, this new creation, created in Christ Jesus for, here's the purpose of our life, good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So all right, God's plan for your life. Now notice, good works, not destructive works, good works. 
You know, when people tell me that God told them to do something that's destructive, I always look at them and say, no, 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 no. God never told you to do something destructive. God created you in Christ for good works. Everything that you do is supposed to be a good work. It's supposed to be beneficial for other people, not tearing other people down, which God prepared. And God has prepared all these good works. You have to understand that ahead in your life, all the wonderful things that you are supposed to accomplish, everything's been laid out for you. And the provision has also been laid out for you to do them. Therefore, remember that at one time, now notice we're going to begin to see a word used a lot here. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. Remember, Paul said, I digress for a moment, so let's come back to my key word. Remember that at one time, at that time, here's this past, all right? Here's the past. At that one time, you were separated from Christ. There's a key word. You were separated. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. All right, this is the condition of the lost. He said, now this is your past. This is the past that we all had. We're not ashamed of our past. We're just forgiven of our past. And we understand that in our past, we were separated from Christ. We weren't in Christ. We were separate. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, but now we've been grafted in. We were strangers to the covenant of promise. Now Jesus died on the cross, and he and when he died on that tree, he, he redeemed us from the curse of the law, that the promises of Abraham could come to us, so all the covenants of promise come to us. And before, we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. But now, here's another one of those but nows. But now, in Christ Jesus. So here's another in Christ. Ephesians is full of them, I warn you. In Christ, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Folks, you are near to God. Now, now this is something that you have to get a hold of. People say, oh, I just want to get close to God. You are close to God. Maybe you're ignoring him, but you are close to God. Now, let me illustrate. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you look at a table and there's four or five people there, obviously a family, and everybody's got their cell phones out. They're sitting right next to each other. This is before social distancing. And they're sitting right next to each other. They got their cell phones out and it's like they're in different worlds. Now, they have been brought near. They came to the restaurant and they sat down together. But in their minds, they're far apart. Now, in the same way, you have to understand, you don't need to get close to God. You are already close to God. He lives in you. You have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, not by your works, not by your prayer, not by your fasting, not by your worship. You were brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. So it's not a question of getting close to God. It's a question of learning to realize his closeness and talk to him. Do you remember how I told you I love that little book that, that really touched my life when I was a baby Christian? And I, I still have the PDF of it that I keep in my phone and my iPad and read it once in a while on airplanes, though I haven't been on an airplane for a while. Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Now, it's an old Catholic monk, and he learned how to remember God's presence as he washed the pots and pans. You just need to learn to remember you have been brought near. 
For he himself is our peace. He doesn't just bring peace, he is our peace. Who has made both one and broken down in his flesh the wall of hostility. This is the end of prejudice. In his flesh. Because we're now in Christ. And because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I don't get the victim mentality and the racism and the hatred. I don't get the stuff where a family says, I don't want my son to marry a Chinese girl, or I don't want my daughter to marry a Filipino boy. I don't get the anti-black, anti-white, anti-Chinese, anti... I don't get this stuff. And please forgive me. I, I grew up in it. Okay, I grew up in it. Oh, boy, did I grow up in it. But I don't get it, because in Christ now, I look at people, and we're one. We're the same. People say, where did you get the name Alicia? Well... Who have we had sing for us many times over the years? Alicia Williamson. That's who Shasha got her name from. But she's black. She's Christian. She's our friend. Who cares? I mean, I, I, I asked somebody the other day, they were talking to me about some prejudice stuff. And, and, I, and I texted them and I said, you know what? Have you ever asked yourself the question, what color are we going to be in our glorified bodies? <laughs> Oh, beloved, please. The whole world wants to separate into tribes and prejudices. But at some point, we just have to look at each other and go, if we're Christians, in his flesh, Jesus broke down the wall of hostility. There's, there's no more prejudice. He has made Jew and Gentile one. He's made, forgive me, he's made everybody one. There's, there's no more race. There's no more class distinction. He's made us one. By abolishing the law, commandments, and ordinances, that he might create in himself. Here's this new creation again. Okay. That he might create and come back up to all these other times we see the word create. Here's, here's a created, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now we're, he's created in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace. Because he brought Jew and Gentile together, there's no more in him. There's no more prejudice. That he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing hostility. I like that. Jesus killed the hostility between Pinoy and Chinese. Jesus killed the hostility between Chinese and Japanese. Jesus killed the hostility between Korean and Chinese. Jesus killed the hostility between black and white. Jesus killed it on the cross. This is why I can go to Accra and sit down with some of the most wonderful brothers with the biggest smiles you ever saw in your life, full of joy. And they just look at me and, you know, I stand out like a pimple on a nose when I'm in Africa. I mean, just like a pimple on a nose. But those brothers love me. Even though I look like, you know, gee, somebody put me in bleach. But they love me. I can sit down with, with Pastor Dag and I can sit down with Joshua and Lady Adelaide. And... and we all look different. But in Christ, Jesus killed the hostility. On the cross, Jesus killed the hostility between races. Beloved, please get a hold of this and, and let prejudice die in your heart. Please get over that stuff. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. And through him, here's one of the great verses of the Bible, 
and through him we both have access by one spirit into the Father. Now, this is a verse I had to be careful not to preach. All right, so our access to the throne, it's through Jesus, and it is butlered by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word here for access by one in one spirit, it's like the Holy Spirit meets you at the front door and brings you into the presence of God. So we can come through Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, who's what, his, he's who guides us. He is the one who guides us past the confusions of our mind and the, the attitudes that we're having and the pressures that we're facing. You know, some of you, you come to prayer and you go, God, where are you? You know, I mean, all these problems and pressures, God, where are you? The Holy Spirit just takes your insides and brings you into the presence. He, he's the butler. So then, he continues. So then, this is the results. You are no longer, okay, here's this past again. You are no longer aliens and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Okay, we're fellow citizens, but we're even more than that. So we're fellow citizens, okay, our citizenship is in heaven, but we are also family. It's even a deeper degree. If I can get my pen to work. So family, citizens. Some of you watch all this stuff going on, and when you see it, you should say, Pastor, this is exactly how to fix that. Because I have tried everything and loaded the, the drivers how many times? Built on the foundation, all right, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being our cornerstone. So the church is built on the foundations of the prophets and apostles. But Jesus, and I always make my cornerstone bigger, rather than just look at it as a stone in the corner where you start. And really, it, it, if a foundation is like this, this is the cornerstone. This is, this is where it starts, all right? But I always like to make my cornerstone real big so that I always remember, all started with Jesus. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of the Lord, all right? The whole structure being joined together. Jesus joins us together, and we grow into this temple of God, this holy of holies. In him, you two are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit, all right? Notice the concept of together. This is why the devil always wants to separate us, because God is building us together to be something. We are being built together to be a dwelling place for God by his spirit, not individuals, but as a people. This is why the devil always wants to destroy churches, because we've been built into a new covenant holy of holies. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. I hope I didn't take too long, because I know Sister Bev goes long in Isaiah. Let's worship again. Yeah, what a great 
To Isaiah, and welcome back from the weekend. Of course, on the weekend, we are now having live in-person services, though some of you are also still joining us online. But it's always great to be back with you in the wonderful book of Isaiah, 66 chapters mirroring the 66 books of the Bible, prophecy, poetry, history, lots of wonderful bursts of praise on the part of Isaiah, and it is just great to be back into this wonderful book. Today, we are going to read together chapter 45 
and 46. Remember, we are now in the equivalent of the like the New Testament portion of Isaiah. So chapters 1 to 39 was full of history, prophecy about all the different nations around. And then starting in chapter 40, we have this comfort, comfort ye my people section, kind of the New Testament portion. But still, there are times in these chapters, 40 through 66, where the Lord is dealing with certain nations and certain kings of other nations, but as they relate to Israel. And so at the beginning of chapter 45, it says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, king of Persia. Wow. Cyrus, and of course, we read about Cyrus in other parts of the Bible. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? That the Lord would speak to a foreign king. Does God do that today? Does God speak to other leaders? Does God speak to leaders even though they don't know him? Does God use people even though they don't know him? Well, we have incident even in the New Testament where Caiaphas prophesied, and he didn't do it because he was so godly. It says he did it in his office as the high priest that year. So sometimes God does that. He actually holds the hearts of the kings in his hands. He holds governing authorities in his hands. And yes, he will guide them and use them to do his purpose. So that kind of means we should really be praying for those in governing authority, don't isn't it that we should really be doing that? That's like a super obvious takeaway from that particular thought that we should pray for those in authority, pray for those in government, not just get mad because there's this corruption or there's that mishandling, but pray because God ultimately is the one who lifts up and the one who puts down. And he's ultimately able also to direct their actions. All right, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belt of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places. Oh, you notice darkness and secrets, they go together. Yeah, remember that if you're keeping secrets, especially in your family. That you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by name. That you may know. What a phrase. And what, you know, you don't think of that as being one of the most common phrases in the Bible or something, but it is. God does things that you may know that he is God. It matters to God. God God, you know, you talk about we, as Christians, we are evangelistic, we reach out to our friends, our neighbors, but God himself is so busy always reaching out to people, reaching out, trying to reach people, 
and that you may know the plagues of Egypt, Exodus 8, verse 10, verse 22, Exodus 9, verse 14, verse 29, and so on and so on through the plagues of Egypt. Over and over, God did things announcing them in advance that you may know. That you may know what? That I alone am He. I am God. That's what He does. Also in Jeremiah, we see that phrase. And it's a major phrase in the book of Ezekiel that you may know or that they will know, that they will know that I am the Lord and my word is true. God does this. Does God do things like that today? Does he do things specifically so that we would know that he is God? Well, in Matthew 9, verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, take up your bed, and walk. So yes, Jesus still does things. God reaches out over and over and over beyond what is even reasonable. Remember at the beginning of Isaiah, he said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Over and over, God is reasoning with his people. Over and over, God is demonstrating that he is the Lord through various means, through miracles, through prophecy, through his word, that you may know that it is I, the God of Israel, who call you by your name for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by my name. So God is directing the path of King Cyrus, not because King Cyrus is all that in God's eyes, but for the sake of his people, he is directing the events of kings and of history. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God. You know, we have to get that in our hearts because over and over in the book of Isaiah, God says things like, I am the Lord. I am God. I am he. There is none besides me. We have to get that not, there are not more paths to salvation. There are not all these equal religions in the world. And yes, but they have their belief and, and I have my belief. That is exactly what the people of this day used to think. This country thought, well, they have their God, but Israel has their God, and the other country has their God. And then sometimes wars became a contest between gods in those heathen minds. Well, my God is better than your God because we beat you in war, and so on. That's, that's exactly how people used to think. And there's a God of a, the sea, and there's the God of the heavens, and there's the God of this mountain or this area, geographical area. And God wants to say, ah, hello. No, there is not. I am God, and there is no other. And there is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. And we have to get that because there's such a, a preponderance of, of uh, feeling of pressure these days to accept that. You know, all roads lead to heaven as long as we are faith-based people, faith-based. You know, people use that word, right? Faith-based. 
well, we are not just faith-based people. We are God-based people. And yes, our faith is in him, but he is the Lord and there is no other. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, from the west, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. See, there he is again. I form light and create darkness. You see, for Cyrus and for, for these heathen nations, there was a God of light and there was a different God for darkness. And God is saying, hello, I form the light and the darkness. I am the Lord. There is not all this pantheon of other gods. There are many demons that people worship and try to say, these are my gods. But it's just like with the Egyptians, with the plagues. Some of the plagues address specific Egyptian gods, the sun god or whatever. And so God is proclaiming that he is Lord of all, that all of these other gods are no gods at all. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. And what is the peace? What is the <laughs> what is the peace? What is the fruit of righteousness but peace? Amen. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Complain, complain. I am the clay. Are you clay? I'm clay. We are clay in the potter's hand. And who is the potter? Our Heavenly Father, does he love us? Absolutely. Does he want what is best for us? Absolutely. Four times in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about the same thing. He keeps coming back to it. Clay. We are the clay. He is the potter. You know, it's like um, sometimes when I'm looking at songs, different worship leaders, they write songs, and they get certain themes that they really enjoy, and they keep coming back to it. And you keep seeing repeated phrases um, by certain composers. It's the same thing with Isaiah, with his writings. He keeps coming back to this idea of clay. So twice already in previous chapters, early chapters, 29, and then again in 41, he has mentioned this clay, and then he mentions it here, and it will be mentioned again in chapter 64. So it's funny because Isaiah was so eloquent. He was one of the most educated of all the prophets and all the writers of the Bible, um, possibly equaling Paul as far as education was concerned, eloquent, influential. Yet he saw himself correctly. I am a lump of clay. I am clay in the hands of the potter. Lord, I am the clay. You are the potter. Make of me what you will. Not what I will, Lord. Make of me what you will. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, With what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, Ask me of things to come, 
Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands who stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. I have stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sebians, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. The transfer of wealth, the wealth of the wicked to the righteous. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other God besides him. Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go into confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord. With everlasting salvation, you shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Are you kidding the message of that? Are you getting what God is trying to say? Come on, people, let's reason together. There is no other power or force. You know, may the force be with you. There is no other that that you would consider, well, this God is God of that, and he this God is God of that. No, I am the Lord. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God who cannot save God's heart for his people. He wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of salvation. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me? A righteous God and a Savior, there is none beside me. So in this passage, so far, that's number four, four times that we, that we have read the same exact thing. I am the Lord and there is no other, but we're not finished yet because it will still come up again. Oh, verse 22, one of the most powerful direct verses in the whole Bible, let alone Isaiah. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. See, there you go all the ends of the earth, no matter where you're from, no, what, no matter what nation you are from, no matter what mountain you are from, no matter what valley you are from, no matter what coastland you are from, no matter what island you are from, no matter who you are and where you are, all the ends of the earth, turn to me and 
be saved. Talk about a clear salvation message. And you know, when you put on your shoes, your caliga, of the readiness of the gospel of peace, what is your message? This cannot be more relevant. Isn't this the same message that you share when you share the gospel? Turn to the Lord and be saved. Isn't that the same exact message? This is a relevant and clear salvation message. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For, <laughs> you know what's coming, I am God and there is no other. So that's the fifth time in this passage. By myself I have sworn from my mouth and gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. You see what I'm telling you that Isaiah, except for the book of Psalms, Isaiah is the most often quoted book in the New Testament. New Testament by Jesus, by Paul, by Peter, by all the New Testament authors and speakers. They're quoting the book of Isaiah, and there is a very good example. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. Oh, yes, amen. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Now, chapter 46, we are about to start chapter 46, and little change of pace because now we are talking about Bel and Nebo. Who are Bel and Nebo? They are gods. <laughs> God just went through this whole speech about there are no other gods except me. This is what God said. I am the Lord and there is no other. But there are these false gods, these demon gods or these idols that people claim to be their gods. And Bel bows down. It's... Um, Bel is a word that also means like Lord. It's another word for Marduk when you read about Marduk in the Bible. Nebo, the son of Bel, Nebo stoops. The, their idols are beasts, are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. In other words, again, these idols that you make for yourself, they're a burden to you. You have to carry them until you are weary. But in absolute opposition to this, diametrically opposite to this, is our God. When we are weary, he carries us. Oh, can you see the futility of running after anyone else except our God? All these futile gods gods <laughs> that are no gods at all, idols that we weary ourselves carrying them as opposed to God who carries us. So listen to this. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me, in other words, lifted up, carried by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to your gray hair, I will carry you. So what we have there is a past tense and a future tense. We have all the way from the time before you were even born, you didn't even know you were alive yet. Before that, God was already carrying you. 
And until the time you are so old and gray hair, well, some people have gray hair before they're really old, whether you're old or have gray hair, okay, God will carry you. So it's so opposite. It's so opposite from religion and the religions of the world and the idols that people make for themselves. We don't have to carry them. God carries us. Amen. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. Amen. Amen. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. <laughs> it cannot move. But our God moves and he moves heaven and earth on our behalf. Amen. So who can we compare? To whom can we compare our God? Nobody, obviously, is the answer. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Psalm 91, he will answer us and deliver us from trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. <laughs> Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Have you heard that phrase before? Uh-huh, I have too. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Ooh, hold on to that verse in your life today. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. Again, talking about Cyrus that God is going to call and do his will. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. And how we could go on and on about this. Isn't the book of Isaiah wonderful? Isn't our God wonderful for giving us beautiful writings like this to teach us and to encourage us and to renew our minds to think properly and to not be influenced by the world and the world's way of thinking, but to think the way God thinks? How beautiful and how awesome. But it's the end of our Isaiah reading for today. We have to wait till tomorrow to carry on. Thank you so much for joining us. It is such a pleasure doing our Old Testament devotions with you during this time. Please do join us again tonight for our online evening service. God bless you.